I've been waiting for this day since last spring. For four months, I've been holding this very sacred experience in my heart, wondering how on earth I would find the words to be able to share it with you in a way that would honor the beauty, conflict, healing, suffering, and peacemaking that I witnessed. Thank you for being here today and for opening your hearts to what I'm about to share with you. Last May, I had the opportunity to go on an, on an immigrant's journey immersion trip to the Tijuana-San Diego border with the Global Immersion Project, which happens to be our, our mission prayer focus this morning. The Global Immersion Project is a peacemaking training organization that exists to renovate and activate the U.S. American church as an instrument of peace. It is co-founded and directed by John Huckins and J.R. Swigert, and this organization takes groups on immersion trips to both Israel and Palestine and Tijuana, San Diego, where they enter directly into the center of international and domestic conflict. Through that, they witness and learn from people who are living their lives as everyday peacemakers. I joined the Solidarity staff on this particular immersion trip, and we were led by John Huckins as well as Bethany Anderson. I like to call her our own Bethany Anderson now <laughs> because she's so much a part of our church. She's the director of, the, uh, of Camino Immigration Services, whose offices are here on our campus. I entered into this trip with curiosity and excitement, not realizing the magnitude of suffering that we would witness or the beauty of everyday peacemaking that we would experience. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile to himself all things, things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace cross. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Loving God, please open our hearts this morning to what it means to be everyday peacemakers in a world so full of conflict. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Making peace. We hear that phrase a lot, don't we? In fact, in the Bible, the word peace is mentioned 429 times. Not only is peace important to our faith, but as followers of Jesus, peacemaking is at the very center of who God has called us to be. When the Global Immersion Project first began, a question was asked, what would the world look like if the church took seriously our call to be peacemakers? And next, they asked, who are the peacemakers and what do they do? After a great deal of experience studying, doing life with, and experiencing peacemaking around the world, both in the U.S. and internationally, they came up with a four-practice framework for everyday peacemaking. As Jesus followers, we can be everyday peacemakers by living these four practices. See, immerse, contend, restore. Our immigrants' journey immersion trip to the Tijuana-San Diego border began with a group of about 15 of us sitting around a table in a little hotel in Chula Vista, California, early on a Friday morning. As we went around to the table to introduce ourselves to the group, we were asked to share our biggest fear in going on this trip. 
And when it was my turn to share, I said with tears in my eyes that my biggest fear was leaving my family. And here you can see a picture of my family that I left. It's a silly picture, but I'm sharing this because it's the one that, that we took right before I walked out the door and left for the trip. <laughs> I was especially worried about leaving my children home with my husband, Len, and crossing the border without them. And it's not that I didn't trust Len. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> It's just that I was especially worried about our son, Joshua, who has severe food allergies. I was worried, what, what if he had a, an allergic reaction? Would Len know what to do? What if they went someplace and forgot the EpiPen? What if, what if, I feel like I've said that up here before. <laughs> I worry, I'm very good at worrying. Little did I know during our morning gathering at the hotel how my heart would be transformed over the next three days. Let's pause for a minute and talk a little bit about the four practices of everyday peacemaking. See, immerse, contend, restore. And after that, I will take you on a quick walk through the trip where we were able to witness people truly living their lives as everyday peacemakers. The first step to peacemaking is to choose to see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in everyone. It means to ask ourselves who it is that we choose not to see, who it is that we're conditioned not to see, who it is that we are afraid to see. The next step to peacemaking is to immerse directly into the center of conflict, humbly seeking to understand rather than to be understood. The third peacemaking step is contend. This is the justice element of the kingdom of God. John Huckins explains contend as standing in front of any bulldozer that flattens people. It is important for us to understand that contend needs to take place through relationships. And the final step to everyday peacemaking is restore. This is the now and the not yet. Restoration can't be done completely alone. It must happen through community. Jesus is the living embodiment of see, immerse, contend, restore. God saw the brokenness on this earth. He immersed himself through Jesus with love and humility. He contended for us on the cross, and he continues to restore his love and grace. Let me mention that these practices of peacemaking aren't necessarily linear. Sometimes we need to see and immerse and then see some more and immerse some more before we can move on to contend and restore. And sometimes we need to pause in the middle of this process and allow ourselves time to lament. And that will look different for each of us. And another thing that we learned is that Tijuana, the city that we were about to enter, is the most evangelized city in the world. And unfortunately, most short-term mission trips from the U.S. churches pass right through the sea and the immerse, and they go right to contend. They see a problem, and they go down and try to fix it. These initiatives have been the most dehumanizing forces to Tijuana. And as Jesus followers, we work for justice, but it has to be done through relationships. And now join me as I walk you through our immigrant's journey. As soon as our group made it through customs and into the bustling city of Tijuana, Mexico, we walked a short distance 
and we were joined by Samuel Perez, our first peacemaker. Samuel stopped us and pointed out to the Tijuana Riverbed. You can see that here in the picture. The Tijuana Riverbed is not unlike our own Santa Ana Riverbed. I mean, it looks just like it. In fact, if we hadn't been told to stop, I probably wouldn't have even noticed it. This is what they call for years, thousands of homeless U.S. Many lived almost their entire lives in the U.S., had families here, had deep roots here, and then they were deported to a country that didn't even feel like their own. Out of desperation, so many of these people ended up living in El Bordo, and sadly, many of them ended up being addicted to drugs. Samuel, however, saw the dignity, humanity, and image of God in these people who almost seemed like ghosts. Using his gifts and his love of the earth, Samuel immersed himself into El Bordo and helped build dozens and dozens of raised garden beds. He taught the people living there how to grow vegetables, and through this act of peacemaking, these ghosts started to come back to life, all because of people like Samuel, who saw, entered into the conflict, and saw the humanity and dignity and face of God in each of those people. When we walked across the El Bordo in May, almost all of the people living there were gone. The Mexican government saw the community as eyesores that were hurting the tourist industry, and the police cleared them all out. And I think we are familiar with that as well, aren't we? <clears throat> we don't know where they are today. Later that day, we spent some time at a lovely little coffee shop in Tijuana. There we met two more peacemakers. And here of them. Yolanda, the woman on the left, lived much of her life in Mexico. Single mother with her children in search of a better life for her family. Her children ended up qualifying for protection under DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Tragically, Yolanda was deported back to Mexico and separated from her children, who remained in the US under DACA protection. Four years ago, Yolanda started a support group for other deported mothers whose children are still here in the United States. She has dedicated her life to being a peacemaker in the growing community of hurting mothers who have been separated from their children through deportation. And the gentleman on the right, his name is Hector Barajas. Hector was brought to the United States from Mexico as a seven-year-old child. He grew up here, actually got a green card through his parents, and this was his home. When he turned 18, he joined the army. He served here for six years. Hector later got involved in drug use, and after getting in trouble with the law, he pled guilty and spent three and a half years in prison here in the United States. After finishing his time, he was honorably discharged from the Army, and he was expected to be released on parole. Instead, an immigration hold was placed on him, and he was deported to Mexico, a country he didn't even know. Ever since his deportation, Hector has been working as a peacemaker within the community of deported U.S. veterans in Mexico. He opened a shelter called The Bunker, where deported veterans, 
There are a lot of them. I didn't even know. They're housed and they're working towards self-sufficiency. Hector's also working as an advocate for legislation which would prohibit the deportation of U.S. veterans. After listening to the hearts of Yolanda and Hector, we walked outside and down to the border wall. Look at that picture. Section of the wall was built in the 1990s. It's the most patrolled with stadium lighting, 24-hour remote monitoring, heart uh, heat sensing technology, drones, and helicopters, along with a large staff of border patrol agents. Standing next to that wall, I could feel the weight of generations of families affected by a very broken immigration system. And I know that immigration is an extremely controversial issue right now, even in the church. But no matter what each one of us believes about immigration, I think that we can all agree that the immigration system is broken. Families have been torn apart. And most recently, young people who have been protected by DACA are now living in fear of deportation to countries that they don't even know. In this next picture, you can see a close-up of the wall. That's my hand. It's constructed out of steel mesh with only enough room for pinky fingers to reach through and touch. For some families, this is the only contact they are able to have with each other. Later that evening, we drove to the place where we would be spending the night, Casa del Migrante. And here's a picture of that. Casa del Migrante, which means home of the migrant, is a deportation shelter in the heart of Tijuana. It houses anywhere from 140 to 180 men, with the average stay being about 10 to 14 days, some more, some less. Right now, approximately 70% of staying here are recent deportees from the United States, and the rest are asylum seekers. Many of these men are from Central and South America, and some are even from Africa and the Middle East. Our group had the opportunity to sit in the dining hall and eat dinner with these men. They were exhausted, scared, and grieving. I happened to be sitting across the table from a young man named Marvin. He was born in El Salvador, but immigrated to New York as a young boy. He had three young children, a job, and he loved to play soccer. Marvin was recently deport, deported from the U.S. to El Salvador, a country he didn't even know. Surrounded by gang violence in El Salvador, he was trying to work his way back up to the United States to be reunited with his family again. I also met a man who just days earlier had been deported from Pomona, California, down to Tijuana. I don't remember this man's name, but I do remember his kind, sad eyes. He was a grandfather who had lived almost his entire life here in the United States, and he wanted nothing more to, than to return home to Pomona to be with his family. That night, I got into my bunk bed in the shelter, and I wondered what must be going through the minds of all the men who were sleeping in the bunk beds and the floors just below us. And I could hear some of them chatting 
outside with quiet voices on the patio, and I prayed for them and for their families, and I felt so helpless. The next morning, we had an unexpected change of plans, and we heard the news that a refugee caravan from El Salvador was scheduled to, in, to arrive in Tijuana that day. And we were asked if we could accompany them to the border to represent them as they were seeking asylum in the United States. We didn't know what to expect, but this was where we were supposed to meet. And out of respect for the people living here, I didn't take any photos of the inside, but here's a picture of one of the outside doors. Behind lived 82 men, women, from all over the world. We walked around to the back patio area, which was filled with tents. Inside was a room not very large that had at least 27 beds stacked three high. A few people were cooking in a dark, dirty kitchen, and tired, scared people filled this place. Of all of the experiences we had on this border trip, this is the place where my heart broke. I still struggle with how to talk about what we witnessed here. And I see some of my friends here who are on the trip with us. And I think we can all agree that um, the magnitude of the suffering here was, was really powerful. The caravan of refugees from El Salvador hadn't arrived yet, so we started settling in and getting to know the people who were staying there. Sitting on a plastic chair was a man named Chris. He seemed to be about my age, and we quickly learned that unlike a lot of the people living there or staying there, Chris was able to speak English quite well. As soon as a couple of us introduced ourselves to Chris, he began to tell his story. He pulled out his phone, his cell phone, and he showed us a picture of his wife and his young daughter. Chris was a college professor from Cameroon. He was tortured by rebels in his home country, and he fled with the hope of seeking asylum for himself, himself and his young daughter and his wife. Chris almost died as he traveled by plane, boats, trains, and foot for weeks from Cameroon to Tijuana. And suddenly we noticed that one by one, people from our group were beginning to sit on the floor surrounding two mothers and their young children. Huddled together on the floor, these women and their children held hands and clung to each other as they began to tell us their stories. As they were talking, I noticed that the rest of the people who were living in the shelter started pulling up plastic chairs around us to listen. At that moment, that dark, dirty place filled with so much suffering became the church. These mothers shared their stories of deportation, abuse, and the rape of their daughters by male family members. One of the mothers was from El Salvador and the other was from Michoacan, Mexico. And through their suffering, they found each other and became a team of two single mothers who would do anything to protect their children and find a safe place to raise them. One of them even had a 16-year-old daughter who was being detained in a detention center in Texas. But in the midst of all of their suffering, these mothers told us that they still had faith in God. They still felt the loving presence of his Holy Spirit in this secret, hidden place in the depths of Tijuana. I witnessed the deeper, deepest suffering that I have ever seen but in the midst of that, 
I experienced more beauty than you could imagine. As we started standing up, I hugged these mothers and I showed them a picture of my children. And here's the thing. I had three children, ages 13, 11, and 10. You saw their picture just a few minutes ago. One of these mothers had three children, ages 13, 11, and 10. And my youngest son was named Joshua, and her youngest son was named Joshua. And as we talked and embraced through tears, we both realized that we were the same. We were both mothers who love our children desperately and who would do anything to keep them safe. Our group decided to leave since the caravan still hadn't arrived. And as we said our goodbyes and walked outside, the vans pulled up. And you can see in the next picture, um, I, I quickly and very discreetly took this picture, which is why it's hard to see. But if you look carefully, you will see a van in the back with a load of men, women, and children exiting. They were exhausted scared, and probably a bit relieved that they made it to the shelter. However, after seeing the conditions of the place where they would be staying, I was overcome with sadness. And then it hit me. If this is what they are choosing to flee to, imagine how much worse, how much worse it must have been where they were fleeing from. It was too late in the day for these precious people to try to seek asylum at the border, so they stayed the night and we had to leave. That evening, we crossed the border back to the United States and returned to our hotel in Chula Vista. And the next morning, we got up early to meet two men near the U.S. side of the border. If you, you can see the Border Patrol agent near the border. He's smiling. He shared his experiences with from Mexico to the United States. And next, we heard from the gentleman in the gray in the middle, Enrique Morones. Enrique is the founder of an organization called Border Angels. And among other things, he leads groups of people out in the desert once a month to leave one gallon bottles of water scattered throughout the desert with prayers written in Spanish on them. This ministry is done in response to Matthew 25, where Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. The interesting thing was that although these two men are basically on opposite sides of the immigration debate, they are still able to work together as friends and as peacemakers. The final part of our trip was the bi-national church service on the border. This is where we began our walk to the border of the United States side, from the United States side. It was beautiful here, but within the beauty clung thousands of memories of people walking this same path to a wall that separated them from their loved ones. We walked in almost complete silence for a couple of miles, I believe. And as you can see in this picture, we were approaching the other side of the border where the wall enters the ocean. And here, you can see that on the US side of the border, there are actually two walls in this section. This is a place called Friendship Park, and it is a locked area that is open for a short time each Sunday to allow families to connect and worship together.
Sometimes they even open the gate and allow family members to actually be on the same side of the wall to embrace. We were there on a Sunday morning, so we were able to participate in a binational church service. Friends and family members were separated by steel, but it, it was so clear that the love of Jesus was able to transcend that wall. Here we are gathered on both sides of the wall, rain gently falling on us as we sang, prayed, read scripture, and shared in communion together. We weren't able to pass the communion elements through the wall because that would have been considered contraband. And we were being watched extremely closely by all of the Border Patrol agents, but that didn't matter. The presence of God passed through that wall And during the benediction at the end of the service, we all laid our hands on the wall. And as I pressed my hands against the wall, my pinky finger touched the pinky finger of one of the mothers who was deported and whose DACA children were still here in the United States. I could feel the warmth of her finger and our eyes filled with tears met with our pinky still touching. And as Bethany mentioned to me as we left the service and walked along the beach, that was church as it should be and as it should be. And now I'll give you a very brief video that a friend from the trip, Ben Sanders, put together of the worship service on the border. That night, I went home to my babies and my husband. When I walked in the door of our house, We hugged tightly, and the kids immediately began to fill me in on everything that happened over the past three days during that time that we were apart. And as we sat on our big, clean, warm, queen-sized bed, we all cuddled, and we talked, and we laughed, and everything was back to normal, back to the way it should be, except it wasn't. While I was safe in my home with my family, Yolanda Varona, along with so many other deported mothers, was still in Tijuana, separated from her own children. Hector Barajas was back in the bunker in Tijuana, along with the other deported veterans, wondering if he would ever get to be with his family again. Marvin was still at Casa del Migrante, wondering if he would successfully cross the border and join his three young children in New York again or if he would be deported back to El Salvador. Chris, the father from Cameroon, was still recovering at the refugee house, wondering if he would ever be united with his wife and young daughter again. The two young mothers from El Salvador and Mexico, along with the youngest of their children, were still sleeping at that shelter in Tijuana, recovering from a lifetime of abuse and rape, separated from their older children, who were in detention centers in the U.S. and praying to be granted asylum in this country. A van load full of refugees from El Salvador recovering from an unimaginable journey, fleeing violence, were spending their second night in Tijuana wondering if they would be granted asylum, separated and detained or deported back to El Salvador. The next morning, I woke up in my bed and I wept. I felt like I had just experienced a peak of heaven and I wanted to go back. The thing is, once we choose to see 
and immerse once we intentionally look in those dark hidden spaces with so much pain and suffering. The love of Jesus shines so brightly. But when we do this, when we make this decision to become everyday peacemakers, it hurts. It is uncomfortable to enter into and see those hidden places that we so often choose or have been taught not to see. But Jesus called us to move from the us to the them. And let me tell you, when we begin to move from the us to the them, we will get a lot of criticism, especially from the us. It is a very costly way of life, but as Jesus followers, we are called to be peacemakers, and that is not a passive role. To be a peacemaker means to listen longer than feels comfortable and to see the dignity, humanity, and image of God in the other and to enter into the conflict because that is where brokenness returns to restoration. John Huckins said, Restoration is less a practice and more an acknowledgement that through Jesus' death and resurrection, the kingdom of God is real. Today I shared what peacemaking can look like through the lens of immigration. But I ask you to think about something. What does peacemaking look like in your own life? What are your own barriers to living out the practices of see, immerse, contend, and restore? This week, I challenge all of us to begin with see. Who or what is it that you need to start to see in your life? Is it a coworker? Is it a community of people that you have been taught not to see based on stereotypes, fear, religion, race, gender identity, or orientation, geographic location, or political allegiance? Is it your spouse or your child? Is it a neighbor? Peacemaking is going to look different in each of our lives. And here at the Placentia Presbyterian Church, we've been participating in a partnership with our friends from Solidarity, which, as most of you should know by now, it's a local nonprofit organization. And we joined our summer programs this year, and we're continuing with our partnership through supporting Solidarity's after-school program in the Gardenette neighborhood, not even a mile from here. Perhaps, for some of us, our next step as peacemakers is to get off of our campus and to enter into theirs as a volunteer for their after-school program. I know that this isn't something that all of us are called to do in our peacemaking journey, journey, but maybe some of you are. If you're interested in learning more about how you can be a volunteer with Solidarity, some of their staff will be out on the upper patio immediately following the worship today. Friends, we are called to be peacemakers. May God remove whatever it is that may be blurring our vision so that we are able to see, immerse, contend, and restore through the love of Jesus.